All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are Ember Weekend, and we're going to talk about some newsy stuff. But first, I wanted to make a shout out or an announcement for a conference that's about to occur in like late September called Ember Camp. And it already has a really cool speaker lineup. It looks excellent. Uh, it's in September 21st in Chicago. I think it's a single day, uh, single track conference. So if you're interested in uh, checking that out and you're in the Chicago area or surrounding areas or you want to take a trip to Chicago before it gets cold, which I recommend, you should definitely check it out. And I guess we'll just dive right in. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is an add-on by Edward Faulkner called Ember Auto Import. The long and short of it is that it lets you easily import node modules. You can include this in your application, just say, you know, Ember install dash dash save dev Ember auto import, and then then also save a, a node module, uh, say it's moment or something like that. And you can just say, hey, I want to use this import thing from thing. And that will just uh, work. So I guess that's the, the high level thing. And that sounds kind of, you know, basic, like we're just done with this with the spot, but there's a whole nother layer of cool complexity here that I definitely want to dive into. And Luckily, there was a, a local Boston meetup recently uh, that's on YouTube uh, that you should take a look at. And he walks through some of the interesting bits around the implementation, uh, which for static imports is pretty straight ahead. It does some cool things that I definitely want to talk about because I think it's really neat and kind of fun to talk about. But he also talks about one of the other aspects of it, which is Ember Auto Import allows you to use a new proposal for dynamic imports. And I want to talk about what dynamic import is first, and then we'll kind of move in from there. But first, Chase, do you have any uh, anything that you want to focus on in this uh, in this section? Yeah, I want, to, I want to not talk about this library at all, and I just want to talk about the YouTube video. Really, you should go watch this. This was really great. Uh, <laughs> he's like live coding in like remotely, but like with Robert Jackson there watching him. So every time he would go to like do some weird thing in Ember, like I think he makes a route called what was it? array array and like, yeah and then array. ember and then ember is like you can't do that and then robert starts telling them the history of why you can't do that right well it's like, was there for that too yeah yeah it's so it's so great and then uh and then there's and then he goes to delete the route but he but he so he makes a new route and then he goes to delete the old route but he just like up arrows and then hits enter and it starts deleting his his new route and like the video is just super great it's a lot of yeah, really good uh, yeah. events happening and things but it's also like <laughs> getting getting that live history of like why things are like this number and then like there's actually a bunch of other things about like how add-ons work and things that are not yeah, even well, about and this how pack- and, yeah and how modules get packaged up and it's really great uh, so some of this stuff is you know internalized knowledge like I think after working with Ember for any period of time you're like oh well I kind of know generally how modules get packed up and how we can kind of debug them if we want to. We know that require.js is the thing that we use and we can say require.js.entries and we can see a list of all the modules that have been required, quote unquote, you know, you, you kind of internalize all this stuff. But then when you start introducing a thing like dynamic imports, you kind of have to like reevaluate what you think has to happen for that to work. So I guess before we go in any further, I want to tell you what a dynamic import is. And we're going to link to the TC39 proposal. And I don't know what stage it's in, but it's in a relatively mature stage. I think maybe like the middle, I think it's like a three or four. I don't know which direction it goes. Is it like DEF CON or I don't know, whatever. (laughs) But uh, the dynamic import is basically, so I guess first we'll talk about static imports. So a static import is the general module imports that we've been using for a long time. Ember solidified around this a long time ago. Top level of your file, you put an import, you know, some string or specifier for uh, a default or a 
braces and then a name for a variable for the uh, named exports. And then you can use them and you can rename them and alias them and they do some things. But the key important thing about imports that are static like this is that they are statically analyzable. So you can know without running the program what the program needs to run. And I think that's the thing that is kind of like a primitive thing. We just always thought that. But if you come from uh, CJS or, or CommonJS or Node, you use require, which is something that feels more familiar. And require is dynamic. So you can say, if I need this thing, then require this thing. And that you couldn't know to require that thing until you evaluate the program. So it is not statically analyzable. And the import paren or dynamic imports, they are more similar to require. They return a promise and there's details in the proposal. I didn't, (laughs) I'm not an expert on dynamic imports. I'm just trying to give you an overview. Uh, But the Dynamic imports will allow you to, you know, if you're in an async function, you could say, if I need this thing, then await import paren this thing. And that will do the right thing. So basically, when we talk about that in terms of Ember using it, and specifically Ember auto import, what does that mean? How would you do that? Well, Ed talks about that in this talk. That's awesome. I totally recommend you watch it because it's way better uh, than what I'm going to be describing. But basically, when it encounters that import statement, it makes a request for a, an asset that the build tooling knew to put the asset there because it's detected the import paren. And then it makes a request for the asset and it makes it available when the import is reached in the actual running of the code. So there's two components. There's a build time where it has to say, anytime you see import parentheses, I need you to write the asset that that is pointing to, to the assets folder so that it's available in the browser. And then one other thing that I didn't think about is that you don't want to, every time you encounter the import statement, you don't want to re-require it or refetch it. So it has to cache it. So it does that kind of out of the box. Okay. So that's kind of the general thing. And Ember auto import lets you do this like kind of right away. Um, You have to install a Babel plugin and an ESLint plugin to make your editor not blow up at you or, or yell at you and Ember not to choke. But once you do that, you can just start chunking your code in this way. So when you have libraries that you only want to include in one section of the code, you can just say import if I need this thing. And if I don't need this thing, then don't import it. So if you're using moment, you include moment. And if you're not using moment, you don't include moment. That's a really cool thing. So I don't know, Chase, do we want to talk about the actual like nitty gritty or do we want to kind of leave that into the the video? I don't want to go too deep. I mean, you should definitely watch the video. It's way too much for us to cover. But the interesting thing about it is that under the hood, it's actually using Webpack because Webpack has this ah, yeah. dynamic import built in. So he didn't actually have to write any of that code, which is like the best add-on. Yeah. But it's interesting because he, he refers to it in there like uh, he says, but this is now not something like Webpack's normally something that's really terrible to have to deal with manually. And it's not, you know, he didn't say this in the video, but it's not integrated very well with Ember. So you wouldn't want to just be like, oh, hey, now you have a Webpack config that you have to deal with because that's like a whole nother area of like you know expertise you have to have Mm -hmm. um and so this is just like it's like the add-ons problem you know you don't have to deal with it at all yeah and and i thought that was really interesting the idea of like yeah let's try to like integrate with webpack without forcing you know you to now have to maintain a larger config um that was really interesting yeah i i really dig that yeah absolutely and i thought the way in which like the the actual thing that sets up that where it says hey this is where we're going to gather all the information about the imports and this is how we're going to actually do it Ember's build tooling, Ember CLI's build tooling really facilitated that very nicely. Like I think there's 
a setup preprocessor registry where he learns information about the JS files and then a included, which basically prints some stuff to the vendor, like app import, basically, mm. uh, stuff. And that's it. I mean, yeah. I, there's, much, there's, a, there's smaller a, than I would have thought the amount of code that needed to live behind this. Yeah, you look at it and it's just like, wow, like this is, I mean, I can't believe how like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of nuance to it. So I'm not saying it's easy, but like it's readable. It's it's understandable. Like you can, he actually even added some comments in the code that you can read and be like, oh, well, this is where we introspect the JS and this is where we print it out. And we're using this, that he uses a, a tagged template to build the modules, but they're HBS. So he can actually iterate over the different modules and create another entry for it like right there in line. And uh, that all happens at build time. I don't know. It's just, it's just cool. Like it's one of those things where you like look at it and you're like, man, Ember is cool. I like, yeah. I like working with Ember. I like seeing Ember. I like, I like looking at things like that. It's, it was, a, it was, a, it was a really great talk. Yeah. And then and and normally the end, I go to those too. Normally I'm at the Boston meetups and I missed this <laughs> yeah. one. I'm really sad about it. Oh yeah. It's really close to you now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like 40 minutes or so. Yeah. And uh, at the end of this, he also closes it out with this like grander kind of like plan kind of thing. And I, I thought that was interesting that like, he wants to figure out a way to make this like the default number. I mean, this is there's not even an RFC for this, so this is like pre-RFC kind of level stuff. So don't expect this coming anytime soon. But he's working on a spike to make sure this all works. But the idea would be that you could then just dynamically load any component route, anything that's not like required at boot time. You should just be at a dynamically load, like wait until yeah. that route is hit and the components mm-hmm. asked for for the first time, and then go fetch you know a bundle that has that thing. So this is kind of like um, you know engines to the extreme. So this is something that's way far off, but you know, there's a lot of uh, hurdles to get through. Like, you know, he he mentions it has to work just fine with the existing add-ons. You don't want to make add-on authors rewrite all their add-ons to, in order to utilize this, right? And then it, this should basically work with uh, Rollup Webpacker. He mentions Parcel JS. You know, the idea is that he says it's uh, separating uh, your authoring format from your publication and building like format. So that's basically like I like that idea of man. That's a that's a that's a ten dollar phrase if I ever heard one. Yeah, yes, exactly. I'm still I'm st- I have that <laughs> I have that line. And I'm still trying to understand what it means. Yeah, but I mean I, I get kind of the, the concept of right now we're really tied to like like imbercialized add-ons are really tied to like how they're packaged and getting them into be more of a recipe of like these are the files you know I need or these are the dependencies I have and just becoming a recipe rather than the actual like right. building steps would yeah. be good mm-hmm. and then you can just use them with whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, this is a much larger goal, but obviously, you know, he's making pretty good headway into that. So that's, that's great. Can't wait to see the, uh, this, this spike that he mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I like this experimentation and it's still practical too. I think the biggest concern here is, is less about the dynamic uh, imports and, and that's really just cool nerdery, but the static imports is just, Hey, I want to use moments and I don't want to rely on whatever, or I want to use this small utility function to add two numbers together. And there's a node module that already does this. It already adds two numbers together. Well, rather than you having to jump through a bunch of hoops to build a little add-on that will just do it, you just say, hey, I want this thing. I'm going to add Ember Auto import. And now I have it in my app. And, and static imports just work out of the box. So like it is intensely practical in that way. And then experimental in the import print, like the dynamic imports. Uh, so I was really pleased with this. This is a super, like, I'm like very excited about the potential um, wins and optimizations you can do here. If you are being very thoughtful, you could really trim down your overall payload. And I think that that's really exciting. So definitely check out the YouTube video though. So we just gushed about it for a little while, but the YouTube video is a really fun watch and it's a lot of live coding and it's practical 
There's some conversations. So um, I definitely recommend watching that. It was great. And awesome uh, organization at uh, Boston Ember as well. I've, I've been blown away by how good those uh, meetups have been. And the last thing we're going to talk about, um, because that last one took a long time, is <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about this post by Melanie Sumner. This is... Friend of the show, Melanie Sumner. Right. We've already mentioned her once. Uh, <laughs> she has this blog post. Um, it just came out a few days ago. So this is probably the first place you're hearing it, except for the fact that it takes us you know, another week to actually publish this episode. It's about uh, why she chooses Ember. And it's a really interesting post. One, it's a different perspective than I think I have because she's more from the corporate world mm-hmm. and I yeah. generally worked for smaller consultancies. So her reasons for choosing it are not the same as mine. But we both still agree that it's like the best solution most of the time. And an interesting way of describing it was she was saying Ember was like her. And she says, uh, I'm determined, I'm reliable, I have grit, I can bend but not break. And I like that I can bend but not break. Like the idea that Ember is like locks you into like somewhat of a convention, but it has so much flexibility to just do whatever you can imagine. Like with this thing with Edward Faulkner, like I now I want to use Webpack in like some weird spot in my app and it totally gives you hooks already for that. Yeah. So I love that description. Yeah, we were already talking about how Ember already had the hooks that made the thing we talked about and gushed for a while made that really kind of easy, simple. Like you didn't have to rewrite the entire engine to do it. So yeah, the bending and outbreaking is a thing. I, I wanted to call specific attention to the the first bulleted thing where she talks about all of the different things that she ended up doing over and over again throughout her career. And it's things like uh, project file scaffolding, figuring out testing strategy, and then like iterating in a design language, routing, et cetera. But then she gets to one section where it's like hours in meetings talking over every one of these things in painful detail. And I think this is the thing where you and I, uh, Chase, we have a, a little bit of a different perspective because usually we're working with small consultancies and we're iterating. And I think that in a corporate session, a section, section? What do the corporates call them? Corporate departments? Something. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, departments. Sure, why not? That definitely happens. Of course, there are tons of meetings. I've worked for a lot of corporations and within a lot of companies, but um, usually like the decisions around these like language slash framework slash project details are usually uh, something that I have a little bit more influence on and it's usually a little bit more standardized. And I think that's largely due to Ember, but whatever. But <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to call specific attention to is in the corporate space, yeah, hours and meetings for sure. In smaller companies, often those meetings just never take place. And then instead of having some vision that exists and is is generally universally applied, or at least should be, and there's a document where you can say, you are you should make this look like that, or this file goes here, things just go everywhere. And a new developer comes in and they change things, but they don't go back and change everything to be consistent. So you just end up with like, this like soup of things and then trying to understand how things interop and interact is really difficult. And I think that that's something that Ember does so well is that it's not necessarily about removing the bike shed because there's still plenty of room to bike shed about can my component load data or, you know, like uh, I'm I'm just thinking of like other debates. Uh, Should I use a lot of declarative helpers and sub-expressions in my templates, or should I move those to the component layer? I mean, you can still have arguments, but we're still, we're already confined. And a lot of the stuff like file scaffolding and testing, oh, testing, wow. I literally, I think Chase and I, we both talked about this earlier before we got on the the recording. If we wanted to, we could have an entire hour-long discussion about all of the different ways in which testing has been a real problem 
in past projects, like outside of the Ember space where it's largely a solved thing, uh, specifically in Ruby, where it's like, do I want to use Gherkin or Cucumber or am I going to use Capybara as my web driver? But Ember does a lot of that stuff and it, it, it does remove, it shifts the bike shed to things that generally might actually matter a little bit more, at least in my opinion. So I don't know. I think Ember does a really great job of that. And of course, we're talking about why Ember, but you're listening to an Ember podcast. So I don't know. Maybe we're preaching to the choir, but still, hey, it's a great blog post. I definitely recommend reading it and sharing it as much as you can so that maybe we can get some other people to think about uh, outside of our Ember space to think about maybe why it would be uh, good. And of course, one of the things that at the very end, the conclusion, a lot of it is about community And that is the thing that really drew me to Ember in the first place is that the Ember community is largely the Rails community, which I think just, maybe not largely. There was a contingent. Was at some point, maybe. Yeah, there was a contingent of Rails people. But the philosophy of, you know, trying to make things more ergonomic for developers, friendlier, easier, have a shared solution, testing first. The community is really all about that. There are actual values in the Ember community And I think that that's pretty great. And she also talks about uh, women in tech. And I do think that Ember tries to do that really well. And not being a woman in tech, I can't tell you how well that is, but it's definitely an effort. It's definitely a thing that they're conscious and intentional about. And I think that's pretty great. So generally speaking, I just really like this blog post. So um, I really encourage you to read it and then maybe share it to the broader communities if we can't get some people thinking about Ember again. All right, and that's all we have for this week. Tune in next time. We will definitely have much more news. And actually, potentially coming up soon, we have some more RFCs to talk about. And uh, yeah, speaking of that, this next episode is going to include Robert again. He's going to be recurring every other episode, I think, as best we can. So if you have questions that you want to uh, have us discuss on the podcast for uh, the following episode, tweet at us and we'll start uh, collecting a list. You can also find us at the Slack channel uh, topic-emberweekend if you want to follow along. Um, That's really more of a place where if you want to ask a specific question about an episode, that's kind of a good place to do it. Um, Really up to you. But uh, yeah, if you're thinking about thinking ahead and you got this far in this podcast and you're thinking about next week and you have uh, something on your mind and you want us to discuss it, please just let us know. And uh, that's all we have. So I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next time. 